Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's good to see you today. This is a wonderful time of the year, and uh, you know I know that you're enjoying both the the sights and the sounds of this time of the year. I do hope that you'll take every advantage of being part of the various opportunities we have to celebrate uh, the annual uh, celebration of our birth of Christ uh, during this month. Uh, whether it is next Sunday night as we uh, come together for a, a beautiful concert. I heard them practicing this week, and it is outstanding. Or tonight, by the way, all of our young people, we've got the, the annual Christmas Wars game activity tonight here on campus. We would love to have you back for that. Uh, we've got uh, you know the beautiful uh, Christmas Eve services that we'll be having uh, on the day before, on the Saturday, and then a very special intimate family service on Christmas morning at 11 o'clock, and then we'll have one more unified service at 9.15 on New Year's Day. Then we're going to hit in uh, January full bore. We've got a new series that uh, Pastor Ben will be introducing to you that I can hardly wait to get to. It's going to be an amazing a couple of months as we go through a, 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 a series that we've not really done anything quite like this in many years here at Life, and I think it'll be an encouragement, hopefully a help to you. So a lot of good things coming up as we conclude 2022 and we head to 2023. I also just want to give a brief mention because this kind of comes under my area of responsibility at the, at the church beyond being one of the teaching pastors, and that is uh, December is the month when many folks go ahead and make up any deficit they have in their giving. Uh, the, way we, the way we do our budget is from August to July 31st, August 1st to July 31st. So we kind of have a good idea where we're at in the fiscal year by December. And usually the first three or four months as you get into a new fiscal year because you have new goals, you run a little behind. And this year is no exception. Uh, but also December is our big gi- big, biggest giving month because people look at how their investments have done. And so this year we're asking you not to do that, but just give anyway, okay? Uh, no, we're about, we're about uh, 100, 150000 below where we need to be at this time of the year, which is about where we're at. But I think if all of us uh, do a little something extra, you know, it's kind of unusual to give everybody a gift except the person we're celebrating. And, uh, you know, there's so many good things going on, so many exciting things. I wish I had time to tell you all of the things. This project we've got going in Zimbabwe right now, where, you know, we're just launching all kinds of discipleship Bible studies. Um, I just accepted an invitation to go to India in December, and we're, I'm, I'm sorry, in March, and we're going to be looking at a big project there, planting some more churches. We've already planted 500, and, uh, and we've given 25,000 toward another project. Now we're looking at another part of the country to be able to plant some churches there as part of our gospel saturation initiative internationally. Uh, so there's just good things going on, that, which are made possible because of the faithfulness of your giving. Many churches have offering after offering after offering and special push. We don't do that. We've, we've never done that outside of our capital campaign to build this campus. Uh, but your faithful, generous, and disciplined giving does make it possible. And uh, on behalf of, of the ministry, we say thank you. But more importantly than that, you're laying up treasures in heaven. So we thank you for that. Now we're in Daniel chapter 10. And this is the last time that I'm actually going to be teaching from Daniel. Ben's going to end the last two chapters, and after studying chapters 10, 11, and 12, I'm very grateful that I get 10 and he's got 11 and 12, all right? Because this is the last vision of Daniel. Man, it was fun preaching through the first six chapters or so. That was great stuff. You know, you got the lion's den, you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you got standing up to the king. All that stuff is really easy. Then you get into the visions and it's scritch. I mean, I'm telling you, it's some tough stuff. If you did not get to hear Pastor Ben's message from last week, please go back to YouTube or go to our media page on our website at lifecharlotte.com and watch that. It was so important because what it does, it was a very unifying message because what it did is deals with the, the philosophy theologically of dealing with prophecy, prophetic passages, eschatology, and those kind of things with, with a generous, open-handed attitude toward it. Um, and, and the reality is, as we go through this passage, as we went through the one from last week and has been explained, there are a variety in, among theology students and even in this church of positions on some things. And none of us are 100% right. 
And all of us have something to learn from other people, all right? So I think that's really important. And we believe that as pastors. You know, we talked about last week the lenses through which we view prophetic passages. Uh, and as it referred to eschatology, you know, Ben was talking about his lens. And on the, on the scale of predispensationalist on, you know, he said, I'm about a 6. Well, I'm about a 7.5, all right? So it makes for great podcasts between he and I and conversations and so forth. As we like to debate back and forth. But one thing's for sure, we know Jesus is coming again. We know there are some things going on that we can't see right now. We know that God has it all ordered and planned out and nothing comes as a surprise to him. We know that he has set the schedule and we know that he will do what only he can do exactly when he wants it done. And we need to be doing what he has called and commissioned us to do in the meantime. So that's kind of how I want to approach this passage. It's a complicated passage. And if you'll notice, often, when, often, always, when I teach, I usually have kind of the podium over to the side. And I do a lot of walking when I, when I, I teach because by vocation and profession, uh, before I became a pastor, I was a teacher. Uh, I almost never use, you know, page after page after page of handwritten notes or so forth. I use an outline. And I try to study sufficiently that most everything I can do can be casual and conversational because that's how I enjoy teaching and communicating. Today's a little different. You notice I put the, the, the pulpit right here in the middle, and I got, I've got a transcript, all right? So today will be a little different, and I, you know, I'd, I'd like to mix it up. I don't want you to be in a rut when, when I'm up here. Uh, uh, but the, one of the reasons I did the transcript today is because... This passage, first of all, is an introduction to chapters 10 and 12, or 11 and 12, because it's all the same vision coming up here. But it's also, it, it, the, how I want to approach it is complicated. You, you understand that we literally could take any one chapter of the book of Daniel and preach on it for months, for months. Uh, and that's the wonderful thing about the Word of God. You take off a layer, and there's another layer. You take off a layer, and there's another lesson. You take off a layer, and there's another application. It just, it, it's just rich, and you never get tired of it. I, I never approach a message and say, well, what am I going to say this week? It's always like, how am I going to say all this in this time period? Because that's the power and the wonder and, and, and the divinity of the Word of God. But as we, we approach this, we, can only, you know, we only have a limited amount of time. So the way I'm approaching this today is to kind of give you a macro level before we go into the last two weeks where we're going to make some more practical uh, applications as, as Ben takes us through chapters 11 and 12 when we close out the book. So as we had read, and I had them read the whole chapter this morning, not just a few verses, because I want you to understand, this is a, sol a soliloquy that, that basically is, is taking us so we understand kind of Daniel's posture during this time and what was going on, because this is a weird scene. I mean, we got visions, we got angels, we got trances, we got all this stuff going on. And I got to tell you, you know, I, I always like to consider myself a pretty logical person. So when I approach these kind of passages, I'm like, oh, the mystery of this and so forth. But part of the way God works is in ways that are outside of the realm of naturalism. And we have to accept that. And we have to embrace that. And we have to explore that. What is it that God is doing that only God can do? What is it that God knows that he has not yet completely revealed to us? So in the first three verses of Daniel chapter 10, you kind of get this idea that Daniel is in a state of absolute turmoil. And, and, and he's just got stuff going on. And by the way, I think that's the state of so many today. In fact, I talked with our men yesterday morning on things going on with Generation Z and so forth. But I find this in every case. I do not remember a time in my life when I meet more people who are struggling with things like mental health, anxiety, depression, feeling overwhelmed, feeling lost and confused, feeling like life is out of control, having almost a fear of what next, what is going to happen. For those who are in their 20s, you understand their life began with 9-11, and, 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 and at this point in their generation, they're recovering from COVID. Their whole life has been surrounded by, at this point, conflict and confusion and 
tragedy and, and un, an unsettledness. That has impacts on us. God created us to be emotional, and Daniel was no exception. Think of everything that Daniel had been through in his life. Stripped from his parents' arms, castrated, re-educated, up and down, up and down. One day he's an advisor of the king, next day he's in a lion's den. I mean, all but three different kings, three different bosses, opportunities. Now he's got to come in and tell somebody what this means that's been written on the wall. And if he does it wrong, he can lose his life. And then they've given him robes and power. And holy cow! How, no wonder he was overwhelmed in this moment. And so when you read these first few, first few verses, we, we, we see that in, in his response to what is going on and what he's about to have happen to him and what he's about to see, you're going to see conflict, you're going to see depression, mourning, disruption, uh, fear. you got all these emotions coming, coming to fruition in his life. So as we, read, as we read chapter 10, what we have here is that Daniel has a vision. He sees something that no one else with him can see, which is really kind of interesting because this, this happened several other times in, in, in Scripture, you know, namely Saul, Paul on his way to uh, uh, Damascus, that, that you, know, you have this, this vision and, and not everybody can see it. We know there are other times that it may have been implied even uh, in the Old Testament and so forth, but we've, we've got this vision. No one can see what he's seen initially except him. Most scholars, not all scholars, but a lot of scholars believe that this tunic uh, wearing uh, big uh, uh, person that's above the river Euphrates that, that he's, uh, tiger, the Tigris Euphrates River uh, that he's in, uh, he's in front of is, uh, is Jesus. It's an Old Testament um, presentation of, of Christ. And uh, there's theological terms for this and so forth. I don't want to get too deep into it, but you, you understand that while we're celebrating uh, the birth of Christ, that Christ existed before his physical incarnation here on earth, right? Uh, he was present at creation. He's eternal because he's God. And, and uh, it's part of the, the miracle of the Trinity and the mystery of the Trinity that Christ has always been in existence, but his physical manifestation was what we celebrate here during the month of December. But uh, many scholars believe that, that there's similarity to this vision and the vision that John experienced in the book of Revelation. And, and, and because the, the figure in John was Jesus, that the figure in, in Daniel also was, was uh, Jesus. Uh, others believe that it was likely an angel, that this, this was a spiritual being and so forth. Um, Ezekiel saw angelic figures that were clothed in linen. Um, and, and so they say, okay, those are the similarities. Again, this is one of those things where you can hold this with open hands. You can discuss it and converse on it. Uh, we'll figure it out for sure when we get to heaven. It's, it's not you know, going to change the story dramatically one way or the other. Whatever it was, we know this. It scared Daniel's friends to death. Because as soon as, as soon as all of this started playing out, man, they hit the road, all right? So Daniel, going through this turmoil, uh, he sees this vision, he starts talking about it. His friends are like, I don't see this. Do you see something? I don't see this. And they're back and forth. And so they say, we're out. <laughs> you know, we're gone. And so there Daniel is, is left uh, with, his, with his vision and, and by himself. Um, and so we would say this is a supernatural vision. And in doing so, God was making a statement. I think it's important to note this. Daniel was a lot of things, and, and Daniel was an amazing leader, and Daniel had the ability to interpret dreams, and Daniel, uh, you know, Daniel had a lot of wonderful qualities, but he was also a prophet because God was directly speaking to him and giving him things that needed to be recorded and said. So we, we see Daniel also as a prophet. Now, Daniel's response to seeing this figure was, was one of shock and awe. All right. He didn't run, but uh, it certainly was a big deal. Uh, there are several phrases that uh, Mike read for us this morning. You know, no strength remained in me. His appearance was fearfully changed. Uh, he retained no strength. Um, and and uh, again, it's kind of this referencing his vitality, his resiliency. It's always like I, like all the strength left me. My face changed. Uh, I became frail. And then he kind of collapses into into this trance. 
Um, so the, the next thing that happens in this passage, by the time this time we're in verse 10, uh, a man introduces himself to Daniel. And so Daniel's in this trance, and, and then he's touched, and, and he's awakened, all right? And he's reassured, and he said, go ahead, stand up, listen. By the way, remember this, in your moments of greatest anxiety and depression, God will always send you comfort if you'll recognize it. Remember when Elijah was in the, in, in the cave and, you know, absolutely beside himself and having a huge pity party, I only, I haven't bowed my knees to, to Baal and so forth, and, and, and God sent an angel to minister to him and said, you know, here's some bread and here's some wine, water, and take a nap and feel better. Um, but eventually, God says, okay, enough comfort, get back to it. Uh, and, 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 this, and this portion of scripture here as we're reading with Daniel, very, very similar passage. There's, there's comfort. This is something I really, really love. And if you, you, you see it in verse 11 and verse 19, um, and, and, and the phrase is the same in both. When, when, when the angel speaks to him, he says, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. And in verse 19, he says, Oh, man, greatly loved. And here's something I, we cannot forget. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter what turmoil, how depressed you are, how confused life seems right now, how distant God seems from you, Never, ever question, never, ever doubt where you stand with God. He'll remind you over and over again, you are greatly loved. You know, there are times when we say things like, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. God's forgotten me. How offensive that must be. How must it, offensive must it be for the God who gave his son is the greatest act of love that has ever been extended to have to continue to say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I still love you. No, I still love you. What more can he do to demonstrate his love? But yet he patiently reminds us that we are not abandoned, that we are not forgotten, that we are not forsaken, but that God loves you still in this moment, regardless of what you're going in. What a reassurance that can be for us if we'll accept that for what God has said to us. And even in the midst of this, the great Daniel, the mighty authority, the amazing prophet, the powerful leader needed that reassurance that God hadn't forgotten him and that God loved him. And if Daniel needed it, so do we. And so that's very, very powerful just in that of itself. But in verses 12 through 14, what we do is to see this angel that's telling Daniel that God has been listening to him since the first day he started praying. Now remember when we read this, that basically he'd been praying for three weeks. For three weeks he had been praying. And then this angelic figure assured him that the reason he was there, waking him up, speaking to him, reminding him of the truth that God loved him, was because that God heard his prayer and was responding to it. In other words, this angel was visiting Daniel as a direct answer to the fervent, ongoing prayer that Daniel had been praying for three weeks. For three weeks. Now, I want you to understand this, this principle here, and this isn't even part of the sermon, but it's so important to remember. Your prayers matter. It matters when you cry out to God. God's doing a lot of things in the universe, and we're going to see some of this unfold here. There are battles raging and being waged right now that you and I cannot possibly comprehend. But in the midst of that, you are never removed so far from God that he cannot hear your voice, that he will not hear your prayers, or that he will not respond to your needs. And in this moment, God stopped, sent a messenger, and said, go down there. My man Daniel's having a tough time of it. Will you remind him that I love him? Will you encourage him just a bit? Will you tell him I'm not done yet? And whatever you're going through today, I want you to understand this. The war is waging all around us. I get it being waged all around us. I understand that sometimes life is difficult and people betray you and it's confusing and you feel overwhelmed in all of these, the, the midst of this. But don't stop praying. Don't stop reaching out to God. And don't stop listening for his voice. Because he loves you, and he will remind you of that when you need it the most. 
Then as we continue on at verse 14 or so, he's speaking of the prince of the kingdom of Persia who had withstood him. The, 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 the angelic figure is speaking of it. And, and these were two equals in, in conflict. Uh, in other words, it was more than a man fighting an angel or a man fighting a demon. Or, and, and it was more than two men fighting each other. The, this, these, were, these were two spiritual beings. Now, we're going into the realm of the supernatural, and we're going to get into it pretty deep, so don't, don't shut me off, okay? Because it's really, really important we understand this. But there was some kind of war going on that Daniel was becoming aware of. And this comforter, this angel, and by the way, it's Christmas time. I just got to do it, okay? The angel on top of your tree in the pretty white dress and the long flowing blonde hair, right? Peace on earth, goodwill toward man. That's nothing like real angels, okay? I'm the angel destroyer of life fellowship, all right? And I know if you go out to the big Christmas tree up front, it is filled and adorned with beautiful angels. I don't know what they are, but they ain't angels, okay? Uh, I'm not preaching against angels, and I don't want to wreck your Christmas. And there's usually an angel or two on the Burrell tree as well. But here's the, here's the issue. If an angel came down here right here this morning and stood in front of me, we would all be terrified, okay? They're masculine, they're male, they're warriors, they're fighters, they're opponents. They are, they, they're very much engaged in warfare. They're God's marine force, okay? They're doing his bidding, and they're fearful creatures, and we feminize them. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a, in a condescending way, but I want you to understand, when you see an angel, it's a big deal, and so we got this angel, and, and he's been at war with the prince of Persia. Now, the prince of Persia, you know, there's all kinds of speculation or whatever. But however, we know this, that God, in, in, in what has happened since the fall of man, God has permitted that Satan has authority. He's the prince of the power of the air. Okay, so we keep seeing this word prince. We know that there are powers in high places. We know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There are illusions description again if i had you know three hours today we go pick a lot of these apart but you can do that on your own you've got the ability and to see all of the the characteristics of of the forces that are in existence there are two sides there's satan and his legions we call them demons there are there is god and his angels and they are at war and this is what we need to know. There's war in Babylon, and we're in Babylon. There is strife, there is conflict, there are casualties, there is conflict. It is going on around us in places we can see and in places we cannot see. So what the message here was to this angel who is speaking to Daniel, he said, it came as soon as it can, man, but I've been at war. I've been fighting this dude by the name of the Prince of Persia. And we've been going at it, my man. We have been going at it. But i got to take a break real quick here. Run down here. want to encourage you, bro. want you to know God still loves you. You are loved. You are cared for. I care about you. Here's a little bit of refreshment. Take a little nap. Get back in it. But dude, I got to go. I got to go back to the Prince of Persia. We got to get back at it. There's a war being waged in Babylon. And I'm part of it and you're part of it. You do your deal here. I'm going to do my deal here. But we got to go. That's literally what's happening here. And by the way, we're not confined by time. And God, or rather God's not confined by time. What is time? How do we construct time? We don't even know what time is or where it came from. God's certainly not confined by time like we are. When you think of time today, you think, well, time is the, you know, we have 365 days and it's what the, the time that the earth travels around the sun. Well, do you realize if you're on Mars or Venus or Pluto or any of the other planets that, that your year would be longer? And, and the revolution is 24 hours. Not all planets revolve at the same rate. At the, time is only relevant to us in the way that we measure it today. So don't think that God thinks about time the way that you and I think about time. God sees the past, the present, and the future simultaneously. God knows what will happen, what has happened, what is happening, and what could happen. God knows all of that. You say, well, that just makes me dizzy. Exactly, because we're not God. God's bigger than us. 
But understand that God knows what's going on. There's a battle fighting. There's a battle being waged. He's already declared how it's going to end. But we're caught up in the middle of this. It's not all about us. God's got bigger fish that he's frying right now. And yes, he loves us. And yes, he cares about us. And no, he doesn't forget about us. And yes, he hears our prayers. But you've got to understand, there's a war going on in Babylon. And that's what Daniel had. Remember, we have spiritual warfare that exists. So there's an implication that Daniel's ongoing prayer for 21 days was significant and that the battle between the two characters or the two figures had lasted at least these 21 days. Now scripture teaches that effectual prayer, by the way, is both fervent and persistent. I got to tell you, I wished I was a more persistent prayer. I, I wish. And, and you know, there are some things that, that I've been convicted even of this week that, you know, I pray about it and then I wait until the next crisis and then I pick it up and I start praying about it again. But in between the crises, I don't pray like I should. And, and I shouldn't be surprised that if it's not important to me, <laughs> you know. But the, 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 the continual prayer that Daniel prayed after 21 days finally said, you know what, Prince of Persia, hang on just one minute, got to deliver a message. And that's what happened. The message was delivered after 21 days. The warfare grew so intense. And by the way, if you read this passage, here's, here's the cool thing. This guy, whatever his name is, this angel that came down, he'd been directed. And he'd been directed by Michael. And Michael was the one who told him. Now, there's a hierarchy. Do you, do you understand that? Just like in, you know, in any army, you got generals and you got captains and lieutenants and privates and corporals and all the others, and you can tell I didn't ever serve in the military, so I probably scrambled all those up, but there's, there's ranks. Michael is, a, is, is one of the big ones, okay? In fact, you know, you got Michael and you got Gabriel. You, you, you've heard some of those names. I mean, they're clearly identified for us. Michael said, dude, you go down there. <laughs> you go down there. I got your back, but you go down there. So there's, there's some kind of structure, there's some kind of system going on that we conclude, can conclude from this. The vision and the message had to deal, that, that, that we're talking about, with, and where we're going to be in chapters 11 and 12, with latter days, and, and, and Ben will you know, touch on that while, while he's teaching next week and the week after. But we have to remember this, that God's plan and story has stretched over all of human history and beyond, all right? And the end is always in mind for God every step of the way. He's never lost sight of the end. And he's never been in doubt about the end. And the end as God sees it is different than the way that you and I see it because we can't comprehend it. But God knows how all this is going to play out. We don't. But he does. And that ought to give us some peace and some security. And that while we may not understand what the general of the universe is doing and why he's doing it and why we don't hear from him for periods of time and who this guy is and why does it appear they're winning for a while and why did this casualty occur? We don't understand all of this, but we don't have to worry. God's got it under control. He already knows the end. He's planned it. And there's some peace in that. And some security in that. So in the midst of this spiritual warfare, Daniel has been praying. And then we see that Daniel's posture kept changing. In verse 9, he's on the ground. In verse 11, he's standing back up. And then in verse 15, he's back down on the ground. And then God sent this emissary to touch him and to restore him and to strengthen him and to rejuvenate him and to reassign him back to the battle. He wasn't done. But then the emissary says this, got to go back. I'm going to go back to this heavenly battle against the prince of Persia. I've got to continue the fight. But Daniel needed to be reminded that God was not absent, that he was at work, that he would protect his people, whether it was under Persia or under the Greeks, under the Medes and the Persians, or any other enemy that came up. And even when Daniel was hurting and lost and confused or stunned or whatever, God was not missing in action, even if he was unseen. Now, there's going to be a period of time, by the way, the children of Israel will hear from God for 400 years. That's a long time. And this is kind of a precursor to this. He's going to say, you know, if you hear from me, great. If you don't hear from me, not walked away, didn't die, didn't go on vacation, I'm otherwise occupied, I'll be back. 
And to some extent, we've got to believe that today. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus went to heaven. His words to us were, I'm going to return. i got to tell you, I'm ready. I'm ready. When I was a kid, you know, we used to, dear Jesus, please don't come back till I get my driver's license. <laughs> dear Jesus, please don't come back until I graduate from high school. Dear Jesus, please don't come back until I get married, <laughs> you know. We had all these lists, and you know what get married meant for teenage boys, right? Okay. But then there came a time where I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm good. <laughs> Come on, let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready. But the fact is, whether it's been two years or 2,000 years, you know when Jesus is going to come back? On his timetable, not mine. But the one thing we know for sure is he's coming back. Why? Because he said he would. And he's never broken a promise. There was this great war that was being waged. God had his lieutenants like Michael, who seemed to be special guardians over... Michael's position was to be over Israel. He had all these people working for him, but the plan was still in sight. The idea that we're at war is sometimes off-putting to some. There are those who've adopted a passivity toward their spiritual life that recognizes only the grace and love and mercy that literally and figuratively drip from the heart of Christ. But there's another side of God that we cannot lose sight of. The side that kicked Satan and his followers from heaven and pronounced them Ichabod and damned. The side that is prepared a place of eternal torment as the consequences of rebelling against his authority. The side of God that, is, that, that has uh, so committed to the fulfillment of his promises that he would send a Messiah, that he would order even the slaughter of cities and civilizations down to the children and farm animals in order that some could be saved. Because with no Messiah, there is no salvation and he was not willing for that to be the case, and he would not withhold anything from the birth of Christ. The passion that ran so deep that he was willing to allow his innocent son to be brutally murdered so that you and I could be redeemed. Make no mistake, God is not some doddering old pushover who sits in a robe in a walk, rocking chair on a cloud with little naked angels floating around him shooting arrows. He's not someone who tolerates arrogance and rebellion and disrespect and being ignored. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just and sure and unchanging. He is complete. He is vigorous. He is unrestrained in his commitment to that which he values, that which he has loved, and for that which he has promised. Conversely, we've reduced Satan to some kind of mischievous, mischievous caricature of naughtiness that we really don't take seriously. Every murder that has ever been committed, every curse that has ever been uttered, every child that has been butchered in a womb, every tear that has been shed in pain or grief or terror, every illness that has been diagnosed, every funeral that has been conducted, every war that has been waged, every bomb that has been dropped, every marriage that has been destroyed, every lie that has been told, every innocent that has been abused, every evil that has been conceived has the vile, stale breath of Lucifer that gives it movement. The blood-soaked fingerprints of Beelzebub were tattooed on its body. The utter stench of his rebellion and his greed and his pride and his insolence and his selfishness and his cruelty and his hatred permeates every action, every attitude that reeks of death and decay and damnation in our broken fouled and fallen creation. This is the handiwork of Satan. 
This is the battle which is being waged. This is the war of Babylon between God and Satan, good and evil. Satan cares for no one but himself, and yet so many blindly serve him by rejecting his every antithesis. A loving heavenly father who has never wanted anything but everlasting life and love for and from those that he created in his own image. This Babylon that you and I are living in today is in a state of war. We cannot afford to be naive. Satan wants your heart, your home, your health, your soul. He will lie and murder, steal and cheat to get it. He will dispose of you like the contents of a porta potty. When he has used you up and conquered you completely, he turns his back on you forever. He makes no promises he'll keep, and he loves no one other than himself. And we live in a kingdom that he has invaded and wants to conquer. That's Babylon. That's where we're at today. And we cannot afford to get comfortable. We cannot acclimate and adopt, adapt to these hostile conditions. Any peace that we think we experience in the here and now are just brief lulls and respites in a battle that has spanned every generation from Adam to ours. And if we fit in, we're lost. If we're comfortable, we're complacent. And if we're accepted by Babylon, then we're in danger of being rejected by God. Our identity ought not be with the oppressor. Our identity needs to be clearly with the Savior. And yet many of us spend great energy and time and thought trying to fit in and to see how undercover we can be about the colors of the cross. We care more about blending in with the world than opposing the world. We forget we are at war. And make no mistake, while this war is being waged in the heavens, it is also raging in our nation, in our community, in Lake Norman, in your neighborhood, and in your home. We laugh at what Satan authors and we ignore what God commands. We're in danger of losing our distinctiveness for the sake of peace and acceptance and even opportunity. Even our churches today are systematically ignoring the word of God and embracing actions and values and outright degeneracy for the sake of fitting in while we proclaim a fa false love that rejects God's holy standards while approving of satanic degeneracy. Say, what are you saying, Dan? I'm saying this. The United Methodist congregations today are having to decide all across this country whether or not God's word matters. The Southern Baptists, the Church of England Episcopal Anglican congregations have been deciding this recently. And being non-denominational does not exempt us from the politics and from the pressures that have invaded mainstream denominationalism because there are non-denominational churches who are compromising their message, compromising the gospel, and compromising the authority of the word of God by being soft in a culture that wants to change the absolute values of the word of God. We will not have it. We live in a culture that rejects gender and calls those that defend God's design as transphobic. Then call me transphobic. We live in a culture where we view new definitions of an institution that God himself founded when he brought men and women together to form a home and call those who believe that uh, homosexuality is a sin and that marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman for a lifetime exclusively through which children are raised homophobic. Then call me homophobic. I choose truth. I pick up the sword of the word of God. And if that costs us our tax-exempt status, if that costs us a few days of pain on Twitter, if that costs us whatever, then let it matter because we stood for truth. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is more about Democrats and Republicans and constitutions and Supreme Courts. This is more about drift and direction. This is about the battle of the ages. And we are at war in Babylon. Many of us can drop vulgarisms and curses and even using the precious name of our Savior regularly and loudly in vain at work and in society and in the media and as entertainment, but to pray in front of colleagues to share your faith, to even wear a cross or place a Bible on your desk is now seen by many to be threatening, triggering, intimidating, inappropriate, or hostile. Makes me want to bring two Bibles (laughs) or two crosses. Values like fidelity, monogamy, virtue, purity, and morality are held in disdain and derision. Even our Christian parents are no longer teaching their children that chastity until marriage is worth working toward. Too many are endorsing a lifestyle of premarital sex, shacking up before you get married, and general promiscuity is either acceptable or inevitable for their own children. They have co-ed sleepovers and discreetly supply birth control. And that's commonplace for unmarried teens and college students today. The cohabitation of engaged couples is considered necessary to know whether or not you're going to work out. And believers simply shrug their shoulders and surrender to God's high value of purity and chastity as if his word can be taken or rejected. Now it's kind of quiet. When the believers, the army of Christ, capitulates to the satanic tactics of cheating and lying and divorce and gluttony and rage and rebellion and experimenting with drugs and indulging in pornography and abusing alcohol and neglecting children and ignoring the poor and endorsing abortion and showing callousness for the suffering, how in the world do we expect to defeat Babylon? We are Babylon. We've got to take a stand in the war in which we are waging. Daniel was not at peace at Babylon, make no mistake. He was looking for opportunities to glorify God in the midst of war and tragedy and hostility. These people didn't love him. They were using him. They didn't care about him. They kind of respected him because he consistently did what was right, not what was easy, and he spoke the truth. But he was always the outsider. He's always having to prove himself Again, he's always the alien. He didn't fit in. Ah, he was just a castrated Jew. A spoil of war. A slave boy turned man who provided people things that they did not have access to themselves. He made a difference. He survived and he thrived. But he did not fit in. Because he didn't fit in. And it wore him out. It made him ill. It discouraged him, gave him anxiety. And God, from time to time, would pause his own battles to give Daniel a supernatural peek behind the curtain into why what he had been called to do in Babylon was so important. So let me close from this. What do we learn from this? Number one, we must be mindful of the greater war being waged. The war began before man ever fell And it rages to this day. The war is first and foremost a spiritual war that spills out into the physical domains and physical realm on occasion. It is both seen and unseen. And please, please spare me the idea that, oh Dan, now you've gone weird on us. Because you've watched Star Wars You've read how they're searching for life with billions of our tax dollars somewhere in the universe. What are they looking? They're looking for the unseen. We all know it's out there. We do. We know it's out there. And God's already explained as much of it as we need to know. He told us we're not wrestling against flesh and blood all the time. Demonic oppression is real. Satan is real. So is God and so is angel, or angels. The outcome of the war is predetermined, but the battles are still going to have to be fought. And every part of God's creation is impacted by this war, the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Number two, every war has casualties, and this war is no exception. Every war has casualties. 
And all of us were wounded before birth when we inherited the sin nature, the sin gene. So we all have that initial scar. God himself, through Christ, has been wounded in this war. Do you understand that? God has been wounded. Heaven has to be destroyed and a new heaven has to be created. Anything that sin touches, it putrefies. Our hearts, heaven, this world, you name it. Satan destroys, kills, maims, and messes up. This war is a life and death deal of the eternal kind. And the third thing is this. In every war, there are various levels of engagement and strategy. Some of you are military. You know what I'm talking about. But in the military... We always think about the soldiers in the trenches and, you know, attacking and shooting guns and lobbing grenades or whatever. But make no mistake, there's somebody who's trying to figure out how those guys are going to get fed, how they're going to get their ammunition redone. There's somebody talking about how to jam the communications, how to change to where they can't transfer money from point A to point B, how to tear up the rail lines that bring. There are levels of engagement that are well beyond all of our ability to even comprehend. War's a sophisticated industry. And we need to understand that today in this world. Yeah, it's God versus Satan. It's angels versus demons. It's good versus evil. It's nation versus nation. It's philosophy and ideas and values in conflict. In nation, states, cities, communities, homes, and institutions, and economies, in your business and mine, in your heart and mine, day by day, minute by minute, we are at war. We're at war. So let's get practical. Number one, be mindful of the spiritual nature of the warfare around us. This is a spiritual battle. We need to be aware of that. Number two, remember that the closer to the end of the war, the more intense the fighting. If you've been following the Ukrainian war, you know that with desperation, they just start throwing everything in the kitchen sink. They're recruiting women. They're recruiting. They're letting out prisoners. They are, they are taking people that would rather be anywhere and, and capturing them. Say, no, you got to go. Here's a gun. Go, 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 go. Why? They're desperate. You know this, that we're at least one day closer to the end than we were yesterday. And the closer to the end that we are, Satan is going to grow more and more desperate. And he is going to throw everything plus the kitchen sink at you and me to get us to be failures. At this point, he knows he's going to lose, but they still fight. <laughs> Some of you watch Netflix. It's not a, it's not a historically accurate movie, but you, maybe you just watched All's Quiet on the Western Front. Or Eastern Front. Is it Eastern or Western? Western? And the whole premise of that was, even though the war was over, they're going to fight one more battle, and a lot of guys died because of that. Satan doesn't care about you, and he doesn't care about me. We're pawns. And if he has to level a nation, he'll level the nation. If he has to level your home, he'll level your home. If he's got to sneak up to you at night when no one's around, he'll sneak up at you at night when no one's around. Number three, the battle is spiritual but has physical impact. We're best prepared when we rise from our knees in prayer in order to wage war in our walk. There is a physical aspect. We've got to get up from our knees. <laughs> right? You've got to go to work. You've got to raise your kids. You've got to interact with the culture. You've got to do that. But if you want to do that effectively in a physical sense, then prepare yourself in a spiritual sense. Hit your knees before you take your walk. Be people of the word. Listen to the Holy Spirit in your life because this battle needs us to be armed. And we are unarmed unless we know and obey and use the scripture. It's called the sword of the spirit. We've got to have it. We've got to pray. We've got to know our word. Number four, we've not been called to fight the war in the heavens, but we are engaged in war closer to this home. It starts in our heart. It rages in our households. It spills out into our communities, work, neighbors, social groups, local government. Some will even impact the nation and the nations. Some of you will. Some of you could run for office. Some of you could use your money in a way that impacts this. Some of you are gifted communicators. Some of you have listeners, your influencers at some level. Let's use it in war. 
for right and righteousness, in defense of truth, and for the love of God. Fifthly, it is both defensive and offensive. We have to be ready for the attacks and we have to go on attack. That's the way war is waged. What does that mean? It means guard your heart and go rescue the perishing. That's both defensive and offensive. Guard your heart. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. That's what the scripture says. He wants to destroy your relationships in your life, your walk with God, your testimony. He wants to destroy you. At the same time, go out and look at the others, the neighbors, those who are far from God but close to you, who you can represent truth to. And then finally, if you wear the colors of Christ, never forget that you are an enemy of Satan. Be on guard. If you wear the colors of Christ, you are an enemy of Satan. Wow, Dan, that was kind of intense for the second day of Advent or second week of Advent. <laughs> that's what this was about. Again, again, we sentimentalize little babe in the, in, in, in the uh, manger, no crib for his head, you know. No, that was a warrior that arrived. And he is getting ready to fight the baddest dude in the universe. And every warrior has to grow up. But every warrior knows his job. And today, it's time for the church, the body of believers, the bride of Christ, to draw our swords and to live out our identity with courage and consistency, with valor in the name of Jesus. I don't know what your situation is this morning. I may have just scared you to death. <laughs> if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I do believe this. More than any word that I could have spoken, the Holy Spirit is in your heart right now, perhaps, calling you to the greater thing for you. Why are you here? What has God designed for you? What is it you can do? Well, I believe this. God has a plan for you, and it begins when you accept him as Savior. And if you want to do that today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to walk out of here in just about 60 seconds. I'm going to be standing in the lobby. Will you come up and say, Dan, I need to know where I'm going when I die. I've got to know more about this. I'm not going to hand you a gun, all right? <laughs> don't bring your checkbook. You don't get a free sword. I'll give you a free Bible. But here's the deal. You're going to hear someone say, God loves you. And in the midst of your confusion and despair or whatever's going on in your life, he's got a message for you today, just like he had for Daniel. Will you receive it? And for all of us today, let's take a moment and take measure. Are we in the Lord's army? Are we ready like Daniel? Has he given us a message we need to hear? And if so, let's get up and let's get back to work because the best is yet to come. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being part of your family. Father, we didn't choose to be born. We didn't choose to be at war, but it, it is what it is, right? And so, Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for speaking truth to us. Thank you for convicting of us of our sins. Thank you for giving us eternal life if we just give ourselves to you. So, Father, help us to leave here more committed than we ever have been to fight the war into which we were born, the war of Babylon, the war for eternity, the war for truth, the war inspired by your love. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.